and welcome to the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. My name is Andy Warren and on Monday late morning, joined by Stuart Watson and Ross Halls in the cold light of day, a couple of days on from uh, one of the maddest games I think any of us have ever have ever witnessed, lads. Um, you're both on mute. Please come off mute. Otherwise, I'm going to be on my own here for uh, for an hour. Is anybody there? I am. Sorry. Yeah. I just, uh, as soon as you said, let's go, I had a bit of a coughing fit there. So um, I'm with you. I'm good. Good, good, good manners. Um, Ross, are you are you here? Just before we before we crack on, just check you're here. I'm here, my friend. Good old. Great. Right, <laughs> Ross is here. Let's let's crack on, um, lads. That we, we all spoke. We, we recorded some videos. We chatted after the game on on Saturday. Obviously, everybody will know by now. Ipswich Town drew four four with Charlton in. A wacky, crazy, dramatic, topsy turvy roller coaster game that that all went off in stoppage time, and we were struggling to collect our thoughts after the game. It was um, a pretty hectic time um, with a lot of emotion and um, everything running wild. But the best part of sort of thirty six hours on from that, how how are we feeling about about Saturday? Um, I think we're that few more steps removed from it emotionally than than those that were in the away fans in the away end our mind is sort of professionally on the task as those goals in we're more concerned about who provided the cross who lost their man who ultimately put it in the back of the net what minute it is frantically rewriting intros and live blogs and things like that so we probably didn't live it emotionally in the same way those fans did um so I could understand it. Had I gone through those emotions in the away end, I'd have felt really raw and probably quite angry about it at the end of the game. So I understood that being the immediate reaction on Ross's game day video and um, social media and things like that. Although we were still trying to sort of process what had happened, I kind of deep down felt that it felt a bit freakish and that I would be able to kind of park it not park it and move on but kind of not it still doesn't massively concern me and I know there'll be people shouting at this saying you know the Port Vale game had happened a few days earlier and there's some patterns emerging and things like that I still don't see it like that for me having watched back those that stoppage time which we'll probably break down in a little bit more detail I do think it's a little bit freakish, to be honest. Yes, there's some things that Ipswich could and should have done better within there. But, you know, we're a whisker away from, imagine the tone of this and the whole mood around the club if Ipswich had had, had won that game in stoppage time, whether it had been 4-2, 4-3, everyone would have been singing from the rooftops, wouldn't they? So, um, weirdly, I'm okay with it. I think, um, you know, it didn't take me too long to... For, for the emotions to settle down from my point of view. How, how are you boys feeling about it? We'll, we'll roll on to the bigger picture stuff um, a little bit, a bit, a little bit late, later on, but in the immediate aftermath, Ross, you were, you were sat, we will, we will break down those, those nine minutes, but you were, you were, you were close to the away end. We weren't, we were, we were in the home fans, um, which obviously got the other side of the emotions. We got, we got the misery and everybody leaving as, as Ipswich went four, two up followed by the joy of those that were left dragging back to 4-4. But you were essentially on the front row of the away end. That's basically where you were. What Yeah. What was that like? Just just mental, honestly. Um, 
you know, the scenes in our way and when them first two goals went in to make it 4-2 um, and just the switch of just, you know, the change when it did go 4-4. And, you know, I was very lucky. I was, you know, got, you know, front row seat of like the celebrations, you know, Luke Wolfling going on the hoardings, players just, you know, just, you know, celebrating, you know, like scoring in a cup final because those were massive goals in that game. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a mixed emotions, but it was just, yeah. Something I don't think will ever repeat again. I you know, it's one game you can sort of say, I'm pleased I was there, but also not because of what happened at the end. But yeah, unbelievable scenes. Yeah, incredible to witness. Let's jump straight to stoppage time. We'll, we'll break all of that down. There's obviously plenty to talk about through the course of the 90 minutes. But the thing that this game will be remembered for is stoppage time itself. I'm going to start a timer on my phone and see how much, how long it takes us to talk about nine minutes of stoppage time, whether we can actually discuss all of it in nine minutes. Um, I'd be surprised if we're quite done with it in that time. But the time has started, Stu. It's 2-2 going into stoppage time. Um, George Edmondson, Tyrese John-Jules had given Ipswich a two-goal lead. It it had gone. Raksaki and Albie Morgan uh, with close-range levellers. It's 90 minutes. Let's start analysing. Yeah, well, I haven't haven't got it down sort of blow by blow, but my my first point I was going to make is I think the game finishes with nine minutes, 43 seconds of stoppage time played roughly around that they put up, the board had gone up for six minutes. So the first question from an Ipswich point of view is why, why all that extra time played on top? That is a minimum of six minutes. Um, it's at the referee's discretion to add some extra time on. I think it's in the rule book now that it's 30 seconds for every goal and for every substitution. So, there's obviously four goals in there and one sub because Keo came on um, when one of the goals went in. So, and then and then obviously the ball is is dead for a certain amount of time during that during those six minutes as well. So for me, I haven't got any issues with with the time going on to, to what it was. Is that is the first thing I wanted to say? Yeah, I think with the, with the Ipswich goal, Ipswich scored twice, and yes, thirty seconds is kind of the arbitrary time, but it actually took Ipswich three minutes for the. It took three minutes for. If you add the two Ipswich goals together, it took three minutes for the game to kick off again mm. in, in times of fishing players out of the away end. Um, didn't quite I've, have I've, James Norwood troll, uh, trolling <laughs> back, but nearly. Morsi, Morsi was doing Well, yeah, thing. I mean, you could make an argument that maybe Ipswich could have done a little bit more of that sort of time-wasting. I think there, was, there wasn't too many moments in there. Walton had the ball in his hands at one stage and maybe could have hung on to it a little bit longer. Um, there was a throw-in that Leif Davis took quite quickly. I think that's just so ingrained in the Ipswich players that you restart as quick as possible. It sort of goes goes against um, instinct for them to, to take their time over that. But we're nitpicking a little bit on things like that. <clears throat> as I say, nine minutes, 43 seconds played. The ball was dead. Do you, do you want to know how long the ball was actually not in play for during those nine minutes, 43? Yeah. You do, yes. don't you? Five minutes, 51. The ball's not actually in play. Ipswich are in, so that leaves, how long have we got left there? Just over, got about four minutes left there, haven't we, where the ball's actually alive. Ipswich had it for two and a half minutes of those, two minutes 33. So by my reckoning, Charlton had the ball for around one minute, 19 seconds in the entirety of that stoppage time. And they've managed to score twice. Um, I started to count how many touches of the ball Charlton actually had in that stoppage time. I think it's around 27, give or take. I might have missed one or two. In terms of just different players touching the ball, um, 
completed passes to each other, 16, Charlton, in the entirety of that stoppage time. Two of those are kickoffs <laughs> going to another teammate, obviously. Uh, so that, to me, says that this was a bit freakish. Yes, Ipswich... <clears throat> Ultimately, we're going to, it's going to boil down to Ipswich not defending long balls, high, deep, long balls into the box, which is becoming a little bit of a theme when you include Port Vale in there as well. But in general, that you could play that, as McKenna said, with real clarity, actually, um, quite soon after the game. You could replay those <clears throat> nine, ten minutes a hundred times again, and, and that wouldn't happen. It was quite quite measured after the game, I thought, Kieran McKenna, wasn't it? I think I think from previous managers we might have seen something a little bit more raw, Ross, particularly maybe thinking back to the last uh, the last manager. Um I, I don't quite know how Paul Cook would have uh, would have dealt with that. But we've got to remember it, it it we haven't really talked about Ipswich scoring twice in stoppage time as well because um to dig to dig in and, and find first that Freddie Ladapo goal, which I think was mm. a spectacular finish, the the whip and the and the pace that he got on that ball um, to score um, was probably one of the one of the best strikes of the season for me. The way he hit that ball and it it flicked off the back of the net once it hit it, um, beautiful. But um, yeah, Ross, talk, talk me through your your thoughts on this before we get into the goals that Ipswich Ipswich conceded. Yeah, yeah, Dapo's goal is definitely the pick of the bunch. You know, for him to score a goal like that, you know, I wouldn't, don't expect that from him actually. Not to discredit really the Dapo, but I'm used to him scoring like a header or in the box. You know, um, you know, clinical finish. But for him to get the ball, hold up his man, and you know, far home that, you know, of course that, you know, a lot of people go that could have been an ideal winner. You know, to make it three two, and we don't need to worry about scoring another goal, just hold it back. But for Sam Morsey to get the ball, and for him, a deflection, of course make it 4-2 and I thought here we go job done um at that point I was looking down at my pictures pretty happy with my celebrations everything and you know what came was uh was what I don't think anyone was expecting and um yeah two goals I'm sure McKenna and co probably will be analyzing that for a while because um there were two goals that we shouldn't be conceding but we'll get into that now if you want mate before we do Stu I think you made a really good point in uh, for once in your <laughs> in your Sunday morning observations and and it's one that I'd I must admit had gone through my mind would they have won this game if they hadn't scored the fourth it sounds really weird to yeah. say doesn't it but I actually think Morsi getting another goal in stoppage time went against them because that's when I think everyone's heads went emotionally <laughs> they were such scenes wasn't there when I thought there was a deflection on that Morsi strike. I'm not convinced, actually, watching it back from other angles. I think it just goes through the defender's legs and in the bottom corner. And I think that's when the guard goes down. I think if it's 3-2, everybody is razor-sharp focused and right, we see this out now. And I'm, I'm not sure if what what happens happens if that fourth goal doesn't go in, if, if I'm honest with you. But I mean, there's a few kind of sliding doors moments in this game before the 90 minutes was up, which we'll, we'll go back to in terms of things that changed the dynamic of the game. But yeah, weirdly, I think that fourth goal may have gone against them in a, in a strange way. Yeah, we'll never we'll never know. But um, I think I think you're probably right. When I read that, um, that did sort of consolidate something that I'd weirdly thought in my mind on Saturday. And then you think, actually, that's nonsense. You can't, you can't, it's not bad to score a goal. But I, I think you might be 
think you might be onto something. We've we've talked about this for seven minutes, by the way. In this time, in seven minutes in this game, there's there's already been three goals in the time that we've been talking about <laughs> it. So, so um, we've got two minutes left till we get to nine. I think we might even have extended time beyond that. Um, that I want to just skip goal. to the Charlton, the Charlton goals. We're yeah. kind of, you know, two good goals. We've talked about Ladapo. We talked about Morsi. Let's let's skip to the the heartbreak moments. Um, I'll, I'll let you take it because you've done a really nice piece online today, Andy, sort of breaking down stoppage time. So we'll take you to ninety plus four and, and Charlton pulling one back within seconds of of the restart. Well, within within fifteen seconds, the free kick that leads to it's been given away. That's Sam Morsi, the goal the goal scorer in the middle of the Ipswich half. And this this goal, I I think, perfectly exhibits what we were just saying about um, maybe a, maybe losing concentration because there's a lot there's a lot going on here. Um, Do you I think, think the, it was a bit of a tired tackle from Sam Morsi yes. in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, there's, there's kind of uh, maybe you'd expect more kind of you know how you see players kind of stand in front of free kicks to stop them being taken and 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 things like that. That it was everyone looked a bit kind of switched off, a bit tired. Dominic Balls lost lost Blackett Taylor at the at the back post. That balls come back into the box. By this point, Richard Keogh's come on. I'd like to talk about this in a minute as well. But Richard Keogh's come on and. The ball's been turned back in, and by the time that Terrell Tate, uh, Terrell, I keep saying Terrell Taylor, that's an NFL player, Terrell Thomas, um, puts the ball in the net. Luke Wolfenden's given him a bit of a push and then lost his runner. That push has knocked George Edmondson onto the line, then he's away. Walton, I wonder whether Walton could have done more at the near post. Um, Ross has gone, um, has gone at, gone at the near post to get that ball. Um, and by the time Thomas puts it in, Stu, the five nearest players to to Thomas putting that ball in the net are Ipswich players. He's in this mm. little island in the middle of five Ipswich players. I I, I think that's that goal more Looking so. Looking back at that one, uh, you mentioned Keo at the near post. I think he could just put that out for a corner at the near post. I mm. think he I think he consciously leaves it to think that someone's Walton might be there to to collect behind him. So. A bit like that first goal, not quite on the same level. The first goal conceded at Port Vale. Yeah. yeah, lots of little mistakes adding adding up to one one big one there. And then, you know, even at that stage, we're thinking, well, the six minutes are up, and you listen back to the Charlton commentary, and well, that's just going to be a consolation. And um, but it's not, it's not, is it, Andy? No, um, no. We've got some. There's some things to talk about in between here as well, isn't there? There's one notable one. Um, which is which is Sam Sam Morsi town like town like you, I think you mentioned earlier Walton had the ball in hands for a few minutes that took a few few minutes not a few minutes 20, 20 seconds he did twenty seconds off the clock there um, but they 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 go long from that and Ladapo knocks the ball down really nicely for for Sam Morsi um, and it's maybe and definitely with the benefit of hindsight it's a moment you're thinking about corner going to the corner isn't it with hindsight. Yeah, with hindsight. Um, but again, this is where sort of emotions come into it. And when I talked about the fourth goal going against them, does Sam Morsi try and do that if he hasn't just scored from 20 plus yards out? Is he just feeling sort of supremely confident at this stage and has enjoyed the feeling of those celebrations and and fancies fancies it again? Um, <clears throat> he's got Ladapo to his left. 
He could have turned to his left and taken it into the corner himself, but <clears throat> he tries to sort of uh, find some room in a crowded in a crowded penalty box. And and that, if you if you're looking for Town's biggest mistake in those entirety of those nine ten minutes of stoppage time, that that is the one from Sam Morsi. He's given the free kick away for the third, and a little bit of tunnel vision, a little bit of greed with what 97 plus I think at, at that stage to um to give the ball away um Charlton get the tackle in and uh and they go on to to score from there yeah I, I think there are some more little there's some more little things from here as well I think uh, I think Dominic Ball in in the first 20 minutes of that game wouldn't have been beaten off the ball by by Chuksaniki quite as easily before he turns and kind of spreads play for Charlton there, that's may maybe a bit of tiredness because Dominic Ball's a very strong, very strong player. Chuck Chuck Zaniki is a ridiculously strong. Yeah, and Do- and Dominic um, Ball, to be fair, is still not anywhere near full yeah. match fitness. hasn't played a lot of football this season. He's gone straight into the team on Tuesday night, which was a probably took a little bit out of him. And so, yeah, maybe a bit of a tired Dominic Ball up against a fresh, physical Charlton substitute in Chuck Zaniki, who would, you know, earlier on. I think for Charlton's first goal, had um, outmuscled George Edmondson down the flank. So these these aren't sort of um, weak Ipswich Town players we're talking about here, are we? No. Edmondson and Ball, but Anike is a he's a beast of a striker, and he was fresh and he and he caused some problems. And uh, yeah, so that that was the first sort of thing that led that led to the Charlton fourth goal. I thought Marcus Harness was a little yeah. bit all at sea when I look back at that one. He was kind of dragged out of position. A little bit. Sam Morsi by that stage isn't hunting the ball in the same way that he was. He he just sort of dropped into position. Harness got dragged out of position, and then again, it's just a, another deep ball to the back post. Mm. This is this is kind of an area that that Lambert, Paul Lambert, used to bemoan that was a, a big issue of the Lambert area was not stopping the original cross. Um, I mean, it it's not something that's quite as big an issue now for Ipswich as it was under Lambert. But if you stop the cross. Uh, Morgan, Albie Morgan can't curl the ball really neatly into the back into the back post, and that, then it's an isolation. It's an isolation moment, isn't it, guys? It's um, Dobson and Dobson and Davis. Davis, obviously, as a defender, you're kind of backpedalling. The attacker has the benefit usually of being able to attack it attack it front on. But um, I don't think he's going for goal with that header, and I think he pretty much admitted that in his post match press conference. I think he's just trying to get something on it help it back across goal. I know people have talked about Walton shouldn't really be sort of lobbed by a header from from that close range. I'm not pinning that one on Christian Walton. I think he's just tried to flick it back across goal and it's just any other arc of the ball and an Ipswich deal with it. But it's yeah, it's just uh, just the yeah. way it fell. It's taken Walton by surprise a little bit, I think. If you watch, if you watch back the, the footage, he just as of the moment of impact... Uh, on Dobson's head, he comes off of his toes and onto his heels. And that is probably because he is expecting that ball to go back into danger rather than over his head. Whereas if he was expecting it to go over his head, which you're probably right, Stu, it's probably not where you're expecting the ball to be. It'd have been on his toes. And it's just that, and you see it so often, it's it's not, it's not an error. It's just once you're flat, your feet are flat and planted on the floor, you haven't you just haven't got that spring to 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 be able to spring that's just that's just sort of biology it's not biology is it one of them let's go with it 
It's one of them. You can't. You haven't got the spring anymore. Physi- physiology. Physiology. That's it. You're. You would expect a doctor to know this stuff. Um, it's it's harder. It's um it's much harder to to then get that spring and it, and it's looped over, and into the net. But um, that was a horrible moment, wasn't <clears> it? <throat> there weren't many Charlton fans left at this at this point. You look you look back at the look back at the footage, and there is an awful lot of red seats on display. Imagine being outside the ground and your team has come back come back and done that. I've never understood people who leave games early. I know people say about avoiding the traffic and stuff like that, but. <clears throat> This for me, this what happened here is a reminder of why football is the best game on earth. Because no other sport can provide drama like that. It's a game of chaos and it is, no matter what happens in the game, it only takes a second to score a goal. And I think there's other sports don't quite provide that same level of drama. Yes, it's gone against Ipswich Town here, but... Um, what entertainment, you know, when, when you step back. I know, I know it's hard to say that because we're looking at it from an Ipswich Town point of view. But, um, yeah, that, that for me is why football's the, the greatest game. Yeah, it's just the flow, isn't it? Had, had, had any um, had any away fans left at 4-2 up, Ross? Because if you're, if you're standing on the standing to get the train back to London Bridge, mm. you, might, you might think that your team's just won 4-2, only to, to look, at your, look at your phone and just be like, ah... I have a feeling there'd be a lot of town fans who are still probably in the middle celebrating that fourth goal when the third goal goes in because, yeah, you're still like, you know, hugging your friends and everything. And then you look up and go, oh, no. Um, but I'm sure there's some... I'm with used to, I would never leave a game. If Okay, if we're losing 4-0, whatever, you would probably leave at that point because, like, yeah, we're not going to get back into this. But when it's 4-2, you know, still got minutes to play, you know, don't leave. Because I, I think I saw a video of some Charlton fans actually outside the ground trying to get back in. <laughs> of course, they couldn't get back in because, yeah, they left. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I saw any town fans leaving because, yeah, I'm sure they were just still celebrating, you know, Morsey's fourth goal and everything. But, but yeah, just pandemonium. What's, what, what's that word? Pan Pandemonium. That's the word. I'm not going to say again. <laughs> what do you reckon the, um, the Ipswich Town analysts uh, saw of this, Stu? Because we... we... We weren't on this occasion. That they were on the other side of the ground on a gantry, but it, a lot of grounds. We, the analysts, watch the game from a similar area of the press box, and they obviously need to be back in the dressing room, um, pretty sharpish after the game. Um, most notably at a half time, they 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 kind of leave the gantry at, at just as stoppage time begins to get back down to deliver the information to. Kieran McKenna and the team, and they do the same at full time to be there when the team come in and, and sort of begin the post mortem. Um, I'd like to know what they saw. Yeah, it's interesting that because I think they were up on a proper high gantry, sort of hung, hung down from the underside of the roof on the opposite side to the dugout. So there's every chance they left before any of that that late drama uh, unfolded. I've watched back some um, some. Uh, I've watched back. By the way, we we have now been talking directly about stoppage time for eighteen minutes, which is twice as long as the actual stoppage time itself. This is the longest stoppage time chat in the history of chat. We're into into stoppage time on top of stoppage time. Um, but I, I, I've I've watched stoppage time in its entirety three times this morning. The last of which had uh, came via Charlton's Twitter page and um, had some other interesting angles of a of, of Mr Ed Sheeran uh his reaction to I think it was the fourth goal going in um he was still there 
and uh, he could not. I think he he was very shocked. Uh, some some kind of pained smiles. He was sat in the middle of the Charlton home end, of course, but some kind of like pained smiles, kind of like what have I just seen? But also, I really don't like what I've what I've just seen. Um, yes, that's been, worth in, a look. Interpreted by some as um, what? Why is he celebrating a Charlton goal? Yeah. That, to me, that was just utter disbelief at something that we've said we've 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 both covered football for more than a decade haven't seen anything like it before probably won't ever see anything like it since um so i think that was just a yeah a shock and disbelief smile um that one i'm glad he was still there because you would imagine ed sheeran we talk about people getting away early i think when he's been at home games he tends to get away a bit early which i can understand from his point of view if you you're going to get hassled a bit aren't you if you're ed sheeran leaving when everyone else does. But I'm, I'm glad he, he was there to see all of that in its entirety. Yeah, right. That's <clears> stoppage time. We've spoken about it for 19 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, before we move on, any more notes on stoppage time? It just no. happened, didn't it? Freak result. Let's move on, because there's, there's a lot more to talk about from this game. Um, we've got a little bit of audio to play in, in a minute from Kieran McKenna and Ben Garner just talking about... Um, some whistles from the crowd um, during the first half of that game, which is another thing I don't think any of us have really seen at a football game before, but all in all is probably being lost a little bit uh, given what happened later in the game. Um, But before we get to that, is there anything, any burning desire to talk about anything else from this game before, before we crack on with, with that incident? Um, Well, there's the the Ben Garner reaction to, uh, to Ipswich's second goal going in, which I thought was a bit of a, again, changes the dynamic of this game. Ordinarily, if you're a away team and you score in first half stoppage time and then add a second within seven minutes of the restart, that normally guarantees that you've you've completely killed the spirit of, of the home team and the home crowd. Uh, it didn't on this occasion because of the reaction of their manager, Ben Garner, who was red carded in the aftermath of that, that goal going in. Um, yellow card for the strength of his protest. They were because he felt that it wasn't a foul on Dominic Ball from George Dobson. He was booked for that. He didn't think it was even a foul. Kieran McKenna disagreed. Um, and then he felt that the the goal was subsequently scored. The cross that led to John Jules heading in was, uh, you know, John Jules was offside as well. So he, he protests, he gets a yellow card and, um, he then sarcastically applauds the uh, the yellow card and gets another, and he's off. And he takes a long time, first of all, shouting in the face of the fourth official, but then really milks it, um, going all the way down the touchline towards the tunnel, which was kind of nearer the corner flag, really whipped up that sort of home end for Charlton, didn't he? A wheeling of the arms, punching of the air, cupping of the ears, uh, lingered at the mouth of the tunnel. And uh, by the time that had all played out, a crowd that should have been quiet and demoralised were really fired up. We were in the thick of it in that in that press rock, press box on the front row of the the top tier, and um, they were breathing fire by that point, weren't they? And that, I think that translated a little bit to their mm-hmm. team. The managers getting kind of whipped up like that looks all the more dramatic when they're wearing a hoodie. I think as Ben Garner was, um, that's the new breed, the Pep, the Pep school of. Uh, hoodies on the touchline just brings that extra bit of um bit of grit bit of grit to it um so i 
I'm going to play this now, um, and then we can talk about the incident afterwards. But basically, as I'm sure everybody knows now, there were some whistles from the crowd in the first half, which um, during two Ipswich attacks, one of which um, Ben Garner feels that Charlton benefited from and the other Ipswich. So we'll, we'll play what the two managers had to say, then we can have a chat about that in a minute. Incidents in the game, whistles in the crowd in the first half. What did you make of that? Yeah, obviously no one wants to see it. I'm sure Charlton weren't happy with it as a football club either. I thought Tyrese was running straight for on goal. That was the the key one, was running straight through 1v1 with the goalkeeper. Um, and uh, the whistle blows and he, he hesitates and stops because he thinks it's a free kick. Um, so nobody wants to, to see that. I'm sure they will look at it. Um, yeah, no one wants to see whistles in the crowd. That was, was disappointing. Thankfully, there wasn't any instances in the second half. There was twice, and I think the first one went in their favour because we stopped and then they got across and got a corner but the second one probably went in our favour because he was he was through on goal so I've never known that before uh, on both occasions I thought it was a referee uh, you know and we stopped on the first one all, all of us stopped and ended up getting across in a corner and on the second one I think it was John Jules was it that went through it, it probably affected him in all honesty so um, yeah I, I don't know where that was coming from I'm glad it got sorted uh, and hopefully we never we never get that again what do we make of that? It's uh, not something I've ever, not something I've ever seen before. But it really, really did sound like a res- referee's whistle, didn't it? It I did. Could, could you hear it from the away end, Ross? As far away as that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I was, um, I was, in, I was um, at the home end for the first half, so I, yeah, I heard it straight away. And I was like, "Why is John Jewell stopping?" Like, because I didn't see the ref, you know, blowing his whistle. I know some fans can whistle, you know, you know, they can, you know, some people are really good at whistling. And, you know, normally that's that leader of the full time whistle, isn't it? Because people are like whistling, can't ref blow the whistle. But yeah, it's something you just don't expect at a football match. And yeah, it must be a, like a grade one referee's whistle. Someone must have, yeah, that it wasn't, it. yeah, that wasn't a man, that wasn't a man made whistle, was it? Noise that was a, that was somebody has actually brought a whistle to the game to do that. Um, we, yeah, we thought it was as well, didn't we? From where we were, I think everyone... and it really, it really did put John Jules off, didn't it? He was through. I think it was Morsi put him through one on, one on one, um, and he just had that momentary kind of. He got a shot away, but 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 not the shot he'd have wanted. End up missing the target, and um, would he have scored if that whistle hadn't happened? You'd, you'd like to think that he he would have done. Again, we'll never know, but. Um, there was another so who, who will be pissed off by that as well is uh, their centre half Owen Connell O'Connell who um, ended up getting stretched off. He made the sort of the goal saving tackle on Tyrese John Jules because of that moment of hesitation. Who got injured in the process and uh, that was the end of his game. Oh, everything has consequences, doesn't it? But I think a, a momentary shout out to the Charlton Athletic PA man who. While I would argue his PA volume was turned up far too loud for most of the afternoon, um, once kind of the referee and the managers had come together on the touchline to discuss this, uh, I think it some quite forceful words from the from the PA uh, managed to uh, managed to stamp that out, didn't it? Just just a simple stop it. That's what you want. Job done. Yeah, no messing about with that one. They didn't. Um... They didn't faff around the edges, did they? And I think the home crowd sort of responded with applause as well. And uh, thank- thankfully, that did nip it in the bud. Uh, hopefully, that was fairly well self-policed by the Charlton fans around him. Um, I don't quite know whether someone managed to get it off of 
the whistle off of the uh, the offender in, or whatever the stewards got on it, but it didn't happen again, thankfully. Yeah, referees became a proper proper topic of conversation after this game, particularly Ben Garner kind of suggesting that his team were playing against 12 men all afternoon. Um, but all, all in all, probably Ipswich, Ipswich have had just as big a gripe with a one-off decision um, in, the, in the first half. At least, where Tyrese John Jules, again, uh, threw, had a shot, deflected wide um, for a corner, which ultimately did lead to George Edmondson's goal. But but that deflection, if you look at some still images, pretty clearly came off a hand, didn't it? Didn't it, guys? And uh, Kieran McKenna post-match was talking about if that had... If if that decision had been given, it would have been a penalty and a and a red card. But if it's me, I'm uh, I'm all right with the outcome of all of all of that. Ipswich have have scored. Give me give me given Ipswich's recent record. Give me a goal rather than a rather than a yeah. penalty, please. Yeah, I, I scored from the subsequent corner, and we went. Oh well, it doesn't doesn't matter now. But McKenna's take afterwards was that it would have been a red card and a penalty. I don't actually know what the I lose track of all the rule changes. I should be hot on this, but is that double jeopardy? Do you get a red and a penalty in that uh, situation? Is it? Yeah. Does it have to be a deliberate act? I really don't know what the rule is in there. I think because of because it was a handball directly stopping the ball going in the goal. I think it would have been both. Um, okay. I don't. I think the. I don't think the double jeopardy thing would have would have been an issue there. I think it would have been both. But yeah. Still... So we'll, we'll never know, will we? It's another, we talk about all these sliding doors moments, Garner's reaction, Ipswich's fourth goal, whether that red card, you know, I think Ipswich against 10 men, I would back Ipswich with the way they play and their possession football to to take full advantage of that over, over the course of an entire half of football. As you say, a penalty doesn't equal a goal, Ipswich have not converted two of their previous three. Um, it's, yeah, we just have to say we'll never know how that one had panned out, but but they did ultimately score from from the subsequent corner. Great, great delivery from Davis. Great header from Edmondson. Goal from a set piece, Claxon. Don't know if we need to sound that anymore. This, we're starting to get a few of those this season. Um, another goal from a defender. Um, second one, Edmondson scored this season. So that that was another area that Ipswich for a long time we'd said Ipswich needed to work on. So yeah, and and a and a hammer blow. I think when you score seconds before half time, that's that's always a really good time to score. Do you think we can start to leave a few of these things behind now? Maybe the the goals from set pieces, uh, Town beat Derby on TV previous previous weekend. Maybe, maybe it's time to leave a few of these things in the rearview mirror. What, what what do you reckon? Yeah, I was going to bring up the you know we score from a set piece, but yeah, we've scored a few recently, so I think we now can say yeah we don't need to you know ring the klaxon on that anymore because that's it's happened and yeah winning one Sky against Derby beating you know teams that are bigger you know in this division as well um so we are ticking those off and you know we can say there's not many monkeys to get off our back now because yeah we've we've done it all um but yeah it was a nice header from Jordan Emerson just wanted to say because that was my favorite one of the pick of the bunch I know Ladapo's goal was good but I just love a bullet header I know Stu does that as well I don't you know, I don't like him you don't <laughs> of, course, of course I like him <laughs> I guess there's a, there's new there's a new monkey. There's always another monkey, and the new monkey is now holding on to leads, which we'll probably come on to um, <clears throat> in a little while. There just monkeys do just clawing through to get on the back. Just <laughs> like there's always more. Just monkeys everywhere <laughs> trying to steal your lunch. No, there. Uh, I guess that's that that is a takeaway from this, isn't it? Now that we were talking last year, joking about 
you wouldn't let Ipswich take your dog for a walk because they can't can't hold on to leads and um that's happened started to happen a few times um this season again but we'll, we'll come on we'll come on to that in a bit I can't think of too many occasions where two a two goal lead has been let go twice in the same game. Let alone then obviously three um, times in the same three week. times in a week, uh, but twice in the same game to do that is pretty pretty bad. It's not not very Ipswich Town. Like, let's let's go there. Let's go there now, Stu, because I think some of the fallout from from this game aim is kind of aimed at the the defence. Of of course, it, it, I, and I think everything we've just said about the manner of these goals that were conceded isn't necessarily all pointing towards the defence either. It, it kind of, if you're talking about losing balls high up the pitch and not closing down crosses, that that they're midfielders and attackers we're talking about there. So it's 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 a team game defending, particularly for an Ipswich team that like to like to press from the front. Um, but but inevitably, when you concede. Four goals in a game, six in a week, twice in stoppage time. There's going to be an element of a spotlight goes on to the defence. So, our, our columnist North North Standard Terry Hunt uh, column this morning is led on um, in part about um, a need for for change at the back. Um, where are we at with that? Because I'll be I'll be honest, it's not it's not something that's top of my list of, of things that need to happen. Um, but I will also admit I was a little surprised perhaps that Richard Keogh didn't start this game. I, I kind of had it in my mind that maybe maybe he might after after Tuesday night, given how things kind of switch and change at, at Ipswich. But um, well, first we thing we need that? to say is that <clears throat> Richard Keogh was on the field for Charlton goals number three and four. Um, so that, that needs to be mentioned. Yeah. It, that's worth talking about, I think, Stu, because is that is that helpful? That that just chucking on a, a defensive body is is that helpful? Necessarily? Oh, it's easy to look. They've conceded two goals, and then you can go. Well, it's disrupted. It's disrupted the team, and it goes against you. But there's been other occasions where Cameron Burgess has come on in the 90th minute and got his head on a couple of things, and you go, "Well, that's exactly why you've put him on." So. I'm not going to kind of pick that to pieces. Managers do that all the time, bring on a player to run down the clock and you go, oh, that's great game management, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I don't think there's there's huge amount to pick there. I mean, we've talked a lot about Charlton goals three and four in stoppage time. You mentioned that they'd already given up a two-goal lead in normal time. I mentioned earlier, Anik had out-muscled Edmondson down the side. I thought he should have done a lot better there. Then someone gets a run on Davis at the far post, and they get in a bit of a get in a bit of a muddle. And then the second Charlton goal, we're talking about the defence a lot here, but Marcus Harness is guilty of trying to turn in a very tight spot in midfield when there was a pretty simple pass on to his right. I'd, I'd be putting a fair amount of, of blame at his door for for that goal. And then Christian Walton, we talked about. You know, was there question marks maybe against him for the fourth? There's certainly question marks against him for that second one because he just pushes the ball uh, just straight back into a dangerous area, yeah. doesn't he? So yeah, that's more than question marks. I think uh, I it, think he I think he would tell you that as well. Yeah, that's, that, that's poor goalkeeping from an exceptional yeah. goalkeeper. So we've broken down a lot of those goals there, and we've mentioned quite a few different names in there. Morsi giving a free kick away. Um, Dominic Ball losing a runner, Marcus Harness turning into trouble, Christian Walton making an individual error. Um, 
I just think it's far, far, far too simplistic to go, we've conceded a few goals, the defence is broken. You you attack as a team, you defend as a team. Um, you know, it was only a cut well, it was only a, just over a week ago that everyone was saying how good they the, the Ipswich defence had done to limit Derby to very few chances at Portman Road. Um all the talk was about oh we you know we haven't got the we haven't got the strikers to score the goals. Suddenly Freddie Ladapo scores three in a week and and now and now it's suddenly there seems to be a need to kind of pick everything to pieces a little bit. Um what what is these changes in defence that you're talking about? I mean they've kept I think they've played 44 games under McKenna now and kept clean sheets in half of them, 22 games. And I think Danassian and Wolfenden have been near ever presence throughout that. Edmonton has played most of them, bar that little injury absence at the back end of last season. Yes, Burgess was starting to hit some really good form before his injury. Keo is an option, but I think it's really important not to have a huge overreaction to these last few days. I really do. Yeah, I'm 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 with you there, and I'm quite I'm quite firm actually that that Wolfenden and Edmonton would be what I would persist with. I think. I think you have to give great credit to Cameron Burgess for the form that, that he was able to show. But I think now this Ipswich side is becoming much more of a flat four. Um, I think the three suited him. Um, I think, And I think he's got a big part to play, for sure. Um, you mentioned earlier, Stu, bringing players off the bench is kind of almost like a, a late beacon to kind of seek out aerial aerial balls. He's got that role to play. and he. Uh, but, but for me, for me, I would... I'd be sticking with Wolfenden and Edmondson. They're, they're a partnership. They know each other's games, um, and and they're the players with the upside. I think for for Ipswich, and um, they give they give the team more of what they need as a team, not not purely as keeping the ball out of the net. This whole side functions as a as a unit, doesn't it? And I think they're quite important to that with with balls at feet and and what they're able to do with their mobility as well. Um, what. Any any other thoughts, lads? I want to disagree to make it, you know, this interesting, but I can't because I agree completely what you guys are saying. Because yeah, I think, you know, we wouldn't have had those clean sheets if it wasn't for that defence. You know, in recent weeks, definitely the derby game. You know, they they were heading every ball, defending. You know, everything. You know, blood, sweat, and tears. So. For one, two crazy games conceding goals, you know, people are already going, oh, no, we need to sort that defence out. And, you know, Walton is a top-class goalkeeper at this level. I know he had that one bad save you know, on the weekend, but all the other ones, yeah, not great defending, but, you know, we can't change it overnight. You know, I'm sure they'll bounce back, you know, in the next league game and, you know, we'll be singing their praises again. I mean, the stats show that Ipswich not only have conceded <clears throat> very few goals, but they actually, I think, in terms of lead the way in terms of, chances again you know chances conceded in games as well because of the possession brand of football and and having someone like Wolfenden I think we said in the after the Port Vale game that you have to accept the rough with the smooth and it's a balancing act and okay sometimes Wolfenden can can lead to goals against but how many goals does he help probably start as well and that's the same of other players if there was one player that might I would say is in the in the least amount of form out of that defence is probably Janoi Danassian at the moment. I know we've always talked about him being Mr. Consistent, Mr. 7 out of 10. I think he's just starting to dip below those 7 out of 10 <clears throat> performances of late. Not going overboard on anything, but maybe he's, you know, he's someone that's just the sheer volume of games that he's played over the last year has just 
caught up with him a little bit. You could argue then that you could put a Keo in. I'm not sure if Burgess is ready to go starting games at the moment. He's only 30-odd days on from massive facial surgery. I know he came on the other night for a couple of minutes, but maybe Keo there. But that changes the whole look of the team because he's not he's not a right-back, Richard Keo, And so it becomes less of a back four, back to more of a back three. <clears throat> I'm sure Ipswich would look tighter for it. Um but I don't know if they would threaten as much as well. And yes, Ipswich have conceded a few more goals than they have done last season, but they're scoring a hell of a lot more goals as, as well. Um, so there has to be a bit of a trade-off uh, there. And I think over the course of these 17 league games this season, that the balance from last season to this has, has been addressed. And you, you have to accept that maybe on, on the odd occasion, you can, you're going to concede, concede some more goals. Mm, I think I think actually the next few days could be could be really quite helpful for for people like Janoy that you've just mentioned there. There's the FA Cup game coming up at at Bracknell, um, which you would imagine that Kane Vincent Young would play. Um, if that means I maybe if if Genoi could get a good couple of weeks without a game before before Ipswich are back at it and against Cheltenham at home, just may, maybe a bit of freshness, a bit of uh, Mr. Yeah. Seven out of ten can return instead of Mr. Six and a half. Mr. Six yeah. out of 10 doesn't quite have the same ring to it. The other point I would make is I think this was a reminder at the end of another three-game week that Ipswich's squad, I think, was just looking that little bit more stretched. We talked about maybe some tired legs towards the end. Dominic Ball, Leif Davis, who puts in a hell of a shift every yeah. game, up and down, real physical athlete, um, where Ipswich have missed some the likes of Greg Lee, who would have come on for, for, for a tiring Davis around 60, 70 minutes and would have been that he would have, he would have probably not been beaten at the back post for that header, would he, for for the fourth goal and um, Shawnee Aluko to come on and just calm things down, bit of experience, bit of composure. He's probably not going to give the ball away like Marcus Harness did, for example, that we mentioned earlier on in the game. So they're just missing some of those specialist players, even Cameron Burgess, um, you know, I know he's available technically now, but you know, fully fit Burgess. They're just missing some of these specialist players that were that you know the five sub rule was really helping Ipswich earlier in the season. But though, just having a few of those specialist players out has, has maybe gone against them in the, in the last last couple of games or so. Right, let's draw draw a bit of a line under the game itself and move on to to what it means the bigger the bigger picture and where Ipswich are at heading into that the the break for cup action that we just uh, briefly touched on there seven seven points in a week victory at home to Derby at Port Vale and then one on the road albeit in dramatic fashion if that game had ended 2-2 yes we'd have been talking about a lead lost but we'd all I don't think it would quite have uh we wouldn't have made it 46 minutes into this podcast um still still kind Sorry, of Andy, before you continue you talked about any other notes from the game we haven't even mentioned two absolute sitters that Ipswich Town missed within that. Scored four goals. John Jules has had a header from six yards out, I think, straight after Charlton had pulled one back to 2-1. So talk about another sliding doors moment. Anywhere but where he put it, straight at the goalkeeper down low, Ipswich go 3-1 up, immediately restore their two-goal lead. I think that absolutely crushes Charlton's spirits at that point. And then 86 minutes on the clock. Carl Edwards' ball drops to him quite nicely on the penalty spot and he he gets a bit excited and slices it well off target. And if, if Ipswich make it 3-2, then maybe a different story there as well. So 
an incredible game of football. So much we've just spent 45 minutes discussing it. It had everything. Sometimes you just have to go, okay, it's finished in a draw. That's just one a game of football we'll never see like the likes of which, again, it's a draw at a Charlton side who had a pretty good home record and were just starting to come into a bit of form, putting aside their previous result aside. I, I think a draw is not the end of the world. Yeah, and it all adds up to, to seven seven points in a week. And um, yes, no top of the table after the game. It would it, Had they hung on, they'd have gone top. Um, but to be second at this stage with the amount of points on the board that they've got is, is, is pretty good. Um, I think they took until the middle of January to reach this points tally last season. So here we are on, on Halloween. Um, Ipswich are ahead of schedule um, in so many ways, aren't they? Um, game by game. Um, you can look at so many. This is another one that we, we've often discussed this over the last few months about improvement on on games. Obviously, last visit to the Valley was was horrific for Ipswich Town in the wake of Paul Cook's sacking. Uh, ended in a miserable, miserable uh, defeat, which um, which ended with with players and fans kind of at each other's throats. Um, uh, but it's a point. It's it's another another game where they're up on last season and they're they're right in this and there's no reason to believe they're not going to be firmly firmly in that automatics hunt come uh, come April May. I think on your game day video, Ross, that that point was <clears throat> kind of made by some that the difference in mood after those two games at the Valley tells you everything about how far Ipswich have come. That was toxic. Um, on that Tuesday night with with uh, after that 2-0 defeat. Cook had just gone, Toto confronting the fans, someone shoving Christian Walton. Um, disappointing, frustrating, all of those things, but still a real sense of pride in this group and still a real sense of unity, I think. Um, you know, that's, um, that certainly was far, far from being toxic, flat, Frustrated, all of those things, but there, you know, it was a, a world away from what we'd seen at the Valley, what ten months previous, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I used the perfect word there, unity. I think definitely. I think you know, some fans are still just in shell shock. I think that's probably why they didn't leave the ground. They're just more like, what has just happened? But they also just still clapped the players off, and the players went over. I'm sure they were sort of somewhat embarrassed going over, like we were four two up, and we've you know conceded twice late on. Um, but I think, yeah, there was, of course, there was frustration at the end there. Like, you know, you just seen your team, you know, for, for the second time in the game, you know, lose two goal leads. Um, but yeah, completely different, you know, scale of, you know, of what happened last year to what happened um, on Saturday. Um, of course, you know, fans want to see your team win, but. You know, they were saying, you know, freak result, you know, what, you know, once a lifetime sort of result game, you, you'll never see again. Um, you know, a little shout out to Danny Haynes, you know, appearing on, on game day as well. Um, but yeah, I think even when the players who, you know, came on, you know, they also got clapped as well, you know, so they went on, did they, they do their running tests and stuff, then they had to continue their loads. And, you know, fans were still, you know, cheering them on, which is, you know, would have been different last year because, um, yeah, there was a lot of toxic atmosphere. But, no, you know, just one of those games we'll, we'll talk about for a long time because, yeah, I don't think it will ever happen again. It's kind of good that it hurts, I think, because it shows that people care again. There was a time before where there was just a sort of a numbness around the club when we'd reached sort of peak apathy. 
and things were just sort of drifting and it was death by a thousand cuts and all that sort of stuff that people just kind of uh, shrugged it off at Ipswich. You know, the reason, the fact that people are feeling so flat after this sort of result, after the Plymouth result, is because they care again. They're properly emotionally invested. There's a sense that something can happen this season. So it's a it's a good kind of pain to feel. I'm starting to sound like Paul Cook there about feeling the pain and things, but... <clears throat> Sometimes you do, you know, I, I don't think it will be a bad thing to learn these little lessons along the way. If it, you know, one that hopefully won't be too costly, two points dropped. You don't want it to happen too regularly, but <clears throat> I think it also just keeps everybody's feet on the floor and knows that there's still still a lot of hard work ahead. Um, but uh, this club's in a pretty good place, isn't it, as, as we sit here at the moment going into November? It certainly is. A month packed with cup football, which we'll talk about um in, in, in great detail starting on Thursday. But um, before we d- finally draw a line under the Charlton game today, guys, any other addicts business that you want to discuss? Want to... <clears throat> um, well, as you say, this is a point gained on the Charlton game last season. I went back through it and you can't you can't do this completely faithfully because teams get promoted and relegated but I was trying to work out how many how many results they've kind of bettered from equivalent from last season and out of the 17 games by my reckoning only two of them have they not bettered which was the home draw against Barnsley and so I'm doing a bit of a straight swap for teams that have sort of come down from the championship so if you finish 23rd you have to replace them with that so I think that their equivalent would have been Sheffield Wednesday I think from the previous season so and Plymouth away which was you know a a defeat both times but every other game has been an improvement and none of them have got backwards none of them have stayed the same exactly so if if you want any sign of progress that is it (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty, a pretty, a pretty solid sign, um, and a pretty solid fifty-three minutes of uh, of chat about a uh, dramatic game, which I think everybody that either was there or watched it, um, or has watched it back since, will will remember for a very long time. Have you, either of you, got anything that kind of matches that in terms of drama that you've watched? I guess the Pablo Cunago winner against Coventry would sort of be up there in in terms of late excitement. Not, not, not quite in that. Not in that way. Not all, all happening in stoppage time. I, I didn't see. I wasn't at that game, so I, I didn't. I didn't witness that. Um, I can't. There's pl- obviously plenty of late winners, but but this is a whole different level to a just a late winner, isn't it? Um, yeah. Not really. I guess not that I can think of it's the, the Norwich game in 2018 that probably you know Chambers scoring and them them getting one in 90 plus five is. Is probably the closest in terms of the highs and the lows, so close at the end of a game to sort of mat- matching this. I guess the stakes aren't as high, you know, in terms of it being a derby and rivalry and things like that. Um, but to score four goals away from home, I've seen that before. Four four at Derby when Ipswich were four nil up at half time, four one up at half time. I can't remember. Certainly we're, were well in front. And I think Steve McLaren had just been appointed watching from the stands and uh, came down and, and had a little team talk at half time. And I think Derby's equaliser came around 88, 89, something like that. So, um, but yeah, four goals in stoppage time, madness. Absolute 
madness. Um, move on to something else which might turn out to be absolute madness. I've got a feeling it might not, might go, might go down terribly. But let's see. I've had a little idea. It's Halloween today. I'll be honest. Halloween is not something I'm very good at. I've never done trick or treating in my life. I don't know how to do it. The one time that I considered trying it, I didn't have a costume, and I just put my belt, bike, helmet kind of rather than on top of my head I put it over my face and I just looked like I was about to rob an off license so um decided not to knock on anybody's doors because that probably wasn't fair but it is Halloween and I thought we could chuck around some Ipswich Town Halloween names Ipswich Town to start you off that's a good one um before I open the floor to to you guys who who are bang up for this I'm sure I'm going to start I've got a few I've got I've written down five or six and i'm going to chuck some of the best ones at you and there's one specially for you ross which i'll save to the end um frankenstein yallop spook chambers sam see Stu loves that one look at his little face uh richard fright and this one's for you Stu. uh patrick or treat kiznobo nice well done thanks has anyone got any better ones than that? Because they're they're all they're all terrible. Uh, you've yeah. taken some themes. I had David Fright for David Wright. You, mm-hmm. You've done that with Richard Spookheim again. Same. Connor Wickerman. Does nice. that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's works. Quite pleased with that one. And I've also got David McGoldrick. Oh, I like that one. Oh, Herman Herman House of Horror Iderson. That doesn't work. It does. No. It really, it definitely does. It's it really, doesn't. really, it's it's coming at you at a kind of a level above your level of thought. I think, mate, it's um, it's that good. Um, Ross, I'm led to believe that you might have sought some outside help with this when I mentioned to mentioned it to you before we started recording. What have yeah, you done? I'm, I'm not very creative. So, um, the Kawe Posse chat, people from the fan social on game day. Um, good old Dan is the man with all the ideas. Shifty, spooky. Yeah, like, like that. that. Luke Werewolferden. Oh um, yeah, that's good. That that is yeah. good. Yeah. Freddie Fears. That's all right. Christoph Terror. Um, and then James Scarecroft. And also Bloomers has got one here. Gus Goulenbeek. Yeah, like that one as well. Vile Edwards. It's a bit harsh on Kyle, but um, I've just been looking back through some old squads while uh, <clears throat> while you're talking. These ones are getting a bit darker on the Halloween theme. Jay Stab and Nigel Rio Choker. Getting... Well, we know where your mind's at. <laughs> ooh, ooh. And to end it, I think, Kevin Boo. You know, boo, Boo, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. Brad. Yeah. Good old Brad. Good. Um, We've got a team there, probably. I'm sure we could pull together an 11 out of that. Maybe we could do that for, so, for social media later on. Um, if you're listening and, and you're in any way interested, um, maybe maybe send you some. Ross, are you going trick-or-treating tonight? Is, is that... Are you allowed no. to do that at 26? Uh, <laughs> I think you, know, you should. To be fair, you could, you could put a costume on. People don't know how old you are. You know, bring your voice a bit lower and, you know, yeah. But no, I won't go, be doing it that. Go as like a zombie driving instructor. <laughs> Yeah, or just a car, just you know, just dress as a car. If that's a thing, I don't know. It's not Jonathan scary, Scar. Yeah, John, Jonathan Parr. <laughs> Jonathan Parr. 
Yeah, I like it. I like it. Brilliant. Right, we've reached the hour mark, which means I'm going to remember to tell you to look out for our sponsor, Manscaped, who uh, offer all the grooming needs you'll ever need. You get 20% off and free shipping using the code KOA at manscaped.com. Uh, watch this space. They might be being joined in the uh, in the sphere of sponsorship in the in the coming days. That's something exciting we've got to tell you about coming up. Um, but before we uh, before we say goodbye, uh, I'm going to ask you too if there's any other business. Is there any other business? No other business. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to Bracknell coming up next Monday. But we'll uh, we'll reconvene later in the week to discuss that. We certainly will. Any other business, Ross? You're nodding. I'm nodding, and I don't know. There's one more Halloween town player's name. I don't know if I should say it. It's a bit dark as well, like Stu's theme. Oh, is it worse than the ones I've said? Maybe. Should we err on the uh, side of caution? Why don't you say it, and then we can bleep it out if, okay. if it's really that bad? It is also another creative one from Dan. Um, so, you know, Nick Kills. <laughs> Something, yeah. you know, that's okay. Super. That's okay. I was expecting a lot, a lot worse. I'll be honest. Um, we, maybe that can survive the uh, survive the blood test. But thank you everyone for listening. Um, and we'll uh, we'll see you again Thursday when we start looking ahead to uh, a really intriguing. <laughs>